My name is Dr. Pascal Meyer. I'm the editor-in-chief of the journal Open Heart. I'm a cardiologist working in Geneva, Switzerland and at the University College London. I'm talking today to Dr. Artemis Simopoulos. Uh, she's working at the Center for Genetics, Nutrition and Health in Washington, D.C. And she has uh, written a very interesting editorial that we have published in, uh, in our journal uh, about nutrition. Artemis, welcome to this interview. Could you please tell me about this uh, association between weight and longevity that has been described already since decades? Uh, I just wonder, is this really a, a causal effect or do you think this is more due to confounding? Well, yes. Um, you know, almost 30 years ago, there was a lot of interest and very good studies on the definition of what is a desirable body weight in terms of health. So at that time, I was at the National Institutes of Health, and Dr. Van Italy and I did a very extensive review and a workshop on body weight, health, and longevity that clearly showed that there is such a thing as a desirable body weight, which is um, based on a body mass index between 19 and 25. And until that time, uh, people did not consider the importance of BMI in defining obesity in terms of overall health as well as longevity because a number of studies had not taken into consideration that the reason a person who is thin dies is because in the studies they did not take into consideration the, um, the smoking because smoking is associated with lower weight because of the diseases that are associated with smoking. So smoking was a confounding factor, but after a series of studies, we were able to show that you can co control for confounding and truly define the desirable body weight and the need to develop standards. And at that time, we recommended the body mass index uh, as the standard for that. So if this is such an important effect, uh, this body weight and having a, a, an ideal body mass index, why do you think have, has no country yet uh, achieved uh, a relevant improvement in this regard? Well, well, let me tell you what happened. First of all, um, it, it's very hard uh, to go back 30 years ago and imagine what things were like. At that time, people thought that the body weight should be more or less the average weight for the population. And at that time, the average weight was already uh, um, a body mass index of 27, which was far and above the desirable body body weight. So what the what the workshop and the paper actually accomplished was one, the need to define um, the desirable body weight, which we did, which was always below the average weight of the population. And the three populations that were the heaviest at that time were United States, Canada, and the UK. So the countries did um, agree and took into consideration, and from then on, 
many of the studies were based on the desirable body weight tables that were developed at that time in combination with data from the Metropolitan Life Insurance and the studies that were carried out by the Heart Institute at the NIH. So the countries did uh, change. Uh, they did appreciate the fact that um, weight and at younger ages in particular is associated with shorter lifespan. And I think many people, they really try hard to, to lose weight, uh, be it for reason of health, be it for a reason of just uh, uh, good looking. And as you describe in your um, editorial, this has created a huge weight loss industry uh, um, I wonder also there, there's, there hasn't been a huge improvement uh, regarding management of obesity. Do you have an explanation for that? Yes, I, I agree with you. And, and I appreciate your, uh, your question. What happened is once there was such a, um, was acceptance of the desirable body weight concept, automatically industry took over, particularly in the three countries. Um, UK, Canada, and US, and they began a strong marketing approach that the way to lose weight is to um, focus on less energy intake and more energy expenditure, although there were never any data that recommended that. So they started with all kinds of low-fat products, Sometimes diets that were low-fat and high-carbohydrate, which was definitely a mistake. But again, all these were never based on any good data. It was the marketing of industry that pushed um, the um, low-fat diets, low-energy diets, low-protein or high-protein diets. And all these programs, they led actually to a very uh, expensive um, weight loss uh, industry uh, without any government being successful either in uh, preventing obesity or managing uh, obesity and maintaining weight loss uh, even today. And I think it's because they did not think metabolically. They thought mostly of energy in, energy out and developed the concept that all calories are the same. In fact, that was the concept that was developed by industry, and they, were still, and they are still pushing it today, which is not correct, because what you need to understand is the effect of nutrients on human metabolism and appetite control and uh, metabolic effect. For example, uh, you know, they um, definitely made the recommendation to lower saturated fat and increase polyunsaturated fat. And they the polyunsaturated fat or the substitution of equal calories with polyunsaturated fat um, was very, very wrong because the polyunsaturated fat that people um, uh, used and was all over the processed food industry was mostly um, oils from corn and sunflower and sunflower, all of which are high in omega-6 fatty acids, that they increase uh, proliferation 
of the adipose tissue, uh, they increase uh, the enlargement of white adipose tissue that leads to obesity, and they interfere with the browning of uh, adipose tissue, which, of course, dissipates heat and energy expenditure. And I think that's a very good example of equal calories having um, inappropriate and very different metabolic effects. And this is an area where we, you know, focused on a a lot because during evolution, um, humans were exposed to equal amounts of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. The omega-3 fatty acids coming from fish and green leafy vegetables. And so what happened today, we have a high amount of omega-6 fatty acids, very little omega-3, and the omega-6 fatty acids are also pro-inflammatory, so they lead to inflammation, which is at the base of obesity and, and chronic diseases such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, which is a comorbidity of obesity, uh, and cancer. So what needs to be done is to think metabolically and and understand the effects of uh, fatty acids, both omega-6 and omega-3, that um, throughout evolution uh, were balanced, they were in equal amounts, and the fact that both omega-6 and omega-3 influence gene expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's extremely interesting. And you also described that uh, in addition to uh, having an influence on gene expression, that fatty acids also influence the central nervous system. Can you maybe explore a bit on that? Um, for example, studies that have been done with animal models, but also human studies, uh, they show that... Um, a high amount of omega-6 fatty acid, as it is today in all Western diets, increases the expression of pro-inflammatory genes, which then leads to inflammation throughout the body. And um, this uh, area of research, actually, it's called nutrigenomics because it describes the role of nutrients um, um, in gene expression. And eventually, this is an area where people will be able to develop the appropriate diets by knowing to eliminate high amounts of uh, nutrients and or foods that increase the expression of genes that increase inflammation. So that's one area. The other area that I think is very important is is the fact that um, uh, omega-6 fatty acids, uh, they um, act upon the, the central nervous system. Uh, for example, the cannabinoid system. And uh, once you have high amounts of omega-6 fatty acids, the cannabinoid system becomes hyperactive and again leads to uh, inflammation and in all animal studies, to obesity. Um, so, and that was one of the reasons, you know, that Rimonabant was used to tone down the cannabinoid system, but it had so many side effects that it, it really did not help. Whereas omega-3 fatty acids in, in all animal models and human studies, 
they decrease the tone of this hyperactive cannabinoid system and they improve mood. And mood is a very important factor in maintaining um, health. Do you think, you know, the, uh, the genes play a very important role? People always say, you know, I'm overweight because of my genes. I'm not, I'm eating normal. I'm not eating uh, junk food, but still being obese. It's all about the genes. Well, you know, when you look at the food supply as it exists today, it's uh, a food supply that is very different from the diet and food that we evolved as human beings. And um, the evolutionary aspects of diet are very important to take into consideration because that was the diet that there were, our genes were programmed to respond so developing a food supply that is high in omega-6 fatty acids and high in fructose, both of which never existed in such high amounts, the omega-6 fatty acids for the last 100 years and the high fructose the last 30 years. So our body really does not know how to, to handle and respond to this in a way where the omega-6 fatty acids lead to inflammation and proliferation of adipose tissue. And of course, fructose are high amounts in the presence of low omega-3 fatty acids leads to obesity, cardiovascular disease, and definitely to metabolic syndrome. In fact, in animal experiments, where you deplete them of omega-3s and you give them high amounts of fructose, they develop metabolic syndrome of the brain. So the data are very good to lower the amounts of omega-6 in the diet, increase the amount of omega-3, and have a balanced diet. If we don't do this, I don't think we'll ever be able to lower the body weight of the population closer to a normal range. And this is what needs to be done because the animal studies and the animal models are very clear on that. The mechanisms we understand. And what is most important is the study that was carried out in the Women's Initiative at the National Institutes of Health where they followed young women for a period of 10 years and they had measured in the blood the amounts of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids so they had accurate information and they wanted to know what happens to these people 10 years later and at the 10th year they repeated the studies and were able to show the higher the omega-6 the higher the risk of gaining weight, the higher the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, the higher the risk. The higher the omega-3s, the lower the risk. And this is probably the best study because what has happened in many of the studies that are carried out by all these people on obesity and nutrition, they are focusing on dietary intake and dietary histories and they don't take into consideration the fact that the amount of omega-6 and omega-3 that circulates in the blood 
depends on two factors. One is the dietary intake, and the second is how much of that is metabolized endogenously, how much of the omega-3s and omega-6 are metabolized in the body to the longer uh, fatty acids. And therefore, I really recommend and feel very strongly that if you're going to study the effects of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids, you need to measure them in the red cell membrane phospholipids. Uh, dietary histories uh, are inadequate for, for this type of metabolic uh, uh, research, and um, I think it is very um, important uh, to accurately measure heights and weights rather than being self-reported. So when you look at all these epidemiologic studies that are based on dietary histories and uh, weights and heights that have, are self-reported, they should never be published because the accuracy of the amount of red cell membrane phospholipids are the factors that influence metabolism. Mm, that's a very excellent point and certainly a, a guidance for future research. As a final conclusion, what would you give our uh, readers as a, as a final recommendation? What should they eat less of? What should they eat more of? I think if the most important changes that need to be made in the food supply in terms of the fatty acids are one, uh, to avoid oils that are high in omega-6 fatty acids, specifically corn oil, which is about 66% omega-6, sunflower and safflower, they're about 77% omega-6, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, I know people use soybean oil in large amounts. Soybean oil has a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 of 13 to 1. Um, and instead, they should be using oils such as olive oil, which is high in monounsaturates and very low in omega-6. And then all the newer oils um, that um, are made, for example, from uh, hazelnuts that are high in monounsaturates or macadamia nuts that are high in monounsaturates, and um, um, uh, canola oil, which is Canada oil made from rapeseed that has a ratio of 2 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3. And what is fascinating to me is that in every country or continent around the world, there always have been oils that are high in omega-3 fatty acids. For example, in Japan and China, they use perilla oil. In South America, they use chia oil. And these are, have a ratio of 1 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3. For years, northern Europe um, grew rapeseed. And in the Scandinavian countries, their oil was rapeseed oil. And in the Mediterranean countries, it was the olive oil. This idea of making oils out of uh, corn oil, safflower, safflower, is something that became very prominent once the technology became available, particularly after the Second World War. There was never any scientific evidence that that's what human beings need to be fed. So the 
the oils then the oils become the, the number one change in the food supply. Secondly, I think the intake of green leafy vegetables and fruits needs to be considered very seriously, and, and it's very easy, I think, to grow green leafy um, uh, vegetables. And it, we can take a lot of the wild plants that are eaten, um, for example, all over the Mediterranean. And you can cultivate them. We have done studies that they show, like purslane has high amounts of alpha-linolenic acid, the omega-3 fatty acids. So the green leafy vegetables that always come up as being very good for health, one of the factors is they're high in omega-3 fatty acids. So it's not just the fish um, or, or just the seeds from uh, canola or um, gorilla oil or flaxseed. Um, then I think the the amount of meat um, should be decreased, and the amount of fish should be moderate. So what I personally recommend uh, meat to eat twice a week, fish two three times a week, uh, legumes practically on a daily basis, either in salads or soups or snacks very much along the traditional diet of Greece, which was the diet prior to 1960, and which was the diet that was associated with the lowest rate of heart disease and cancer, and that was the, the diet of Crete that uh, had the best results than any other country in Europe. So we know how to do it. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Artemis. It was uh, very interesting. Uh, there was, uh highly fascinating discussing this uh, paper with you. All right, thank you.